0: In today's episode, we will be discussing topics that may be triggering to some, including self-harm. If this subject matter is too much for you, please come back next week for less triggering entertainment. Hi, and welcome to Gen X Temporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark and he pontificates. With today's episode, Mark and I are beginning a new arc that we will explore throughout the season. Gen Xers who are making big changes in their lives. Some people are changing professions in a remarkable way. Some are making big moves to different countries and some are doing creative things like starting a podcast or even becoming a first time author. Like today's guest, Marita Miller. Marita's self-published first book is a memoir called The Audacity to Heal, and she has graciously agreed to speak with us about it. Mark and I will be discussing our impressions of the book, and then Marita and I will sit down for an interview where she answers questions about some of the struggles she faced in healing from past trauma, becoming a first-time author in her 50s, and her thoughts on the process of writing and self-publishing. Thanks for listening to us each week, and if you do like us, please share us with a friend. Hi, Mark Snedeker.
1: Hello, Christina LaRusso. So, uh, before we get serious here, you know I like inventing drinks for the podcast. Uh Tonight, I am featuring mango sorakabilly, which is just a little bit of cran, some mango siroc, which I had to look up how to spell that. Sounds vaguely prehistoric. Mm. And uh, ice, which Mm. is very important. Oh, yes. Ice is. It's it's critical. It's so delicious.
0: You didn't put any of that raspberry soda in there, No,
1: I'm just letting that sit there decoratively. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All All right. So, shall we? Yeah, let's... uh, We have a podcast to do. We we, can't just sit here drinking all night. Talking about your drink. Yeah. All right. It's fascinating for our listeners. I know it.
0: All right. So, we both read a book by Marita Miller. Yes. She's the author, as I said, in the introduction of the self-published kind of memoir... Called The Audacity to Heal.
1: Clearly biographical. Yes, I
0: agree. Autobiographical. Yes,
1: that. (laughs) Whatever. She wrote it about herself.
0: (laughs) This is her first novel. Yes. And she's just really digging into all of this trauma that she's experienced. However, I would say that the message of this book is very positive.
1: It's uplifting and optimistic.
0: It is optimistic. There's a couple of things that she says, and, and I get into that when I interview her later in the episode. She's got dreams now. Right. She's, Which
1: I think is reflective of where she is in her journey. In right? her journey. In I'm her sure healing. it wasn't positive early on. Right. Yeah, so it's it seems like a very strong blueprint for the healing process. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's working for her. It's in process, Mm -hmm. as everything is in life. Mm -hmm. Sadly, we never just get to say, yep, I'm done working on that. And I can Mm -hmm. just, it's always a process, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, very powerful, evocative, painful in many places. Just a very good book.
0: I agree. It's not self-help. And that's something that I really liked. It's not a self-help. She's not here to tell you or I or anybody who reads this, her reader, here's how you must do it. She is simply saying here is what I went through and here is how I have gotten to the this point in my life. Well, and
1: she talks about the tool set mm-hmm. you need or you might need for you know to take that to take the same kind of journey she did where you know you're dealing with you know old trauma, new trauma, mm-hmm. continuing trauma and how to process that. One thing I was Definitely noticed as we went through is she has learned the vocabulary of trauma and therapy. Mm -hmm. And that is often a big part of the process, being able to name something, define it, have a shorthand for these fairly complicated ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, really helps in the process is to be able to name these things and therefore, you can compartmentalize them or deal with them or whatever you have to do to mm-hmm. them. But it helps to have, you know, a name. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she's learned through her therapy and internal reflection. So
0: Agreed. She does a good job of explaining what she went through yes. and how she responded to it in a way that is, number one, could resonate. That they are also experiencing the same kind of thing or similar. It may also resonate for people who are either friends or family with someone who has past trauma and who does have struggles around things like maintaining boundaries or whatever else. So it may help a reader who doesn't have the life experience but maybe knows someone to be able to be maybe more empathetic, I I think. I thought she did a really good job of explaining what this is like.
1: Just as you said, she explains to you how it feels – to go through this, to have someone treat you in that horrible way and all the various ways it makes you feel and the consequences of those feelings.
0: Mm-hmm. Marita describes physical and emotional abuse in her book yeah. enacted on her from a very young age, right through until she said, when I spoke with her the other day, she said, up until I was in my fifties, I was still having to deal with, you know, she's in her fifties in her now, but yeah. She said, fifty years old, I was still hearing the same things, and i had to I had to set a boundary.
1: well, those things echo for decades, and I'm they sure. do
0: they don't stop see the and I believe she talks about it. words sting words yeah. are really hard to forget, especially
1: they- when they come from people who are supposed to be close to you or that you know are in a position of power and especially when you're young. you're very impressionable, you don't have the defenses built up." Mm-hmm. You don't understand why you're being treated in this way. So you Mm -hmm. tend to internalize that and and internalize that guilt. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, yeah, I must be pretty shitty, right? Because look how people are treating me. It's just heartbreaking and painful to read that. Absolutely.
0: At some point in her book, and I'm paraphrasing here, we get into it in the interview. But Marita says, I'm not broken. I have survived broken people.
1: Because broken people are cruel and hurtful like that.
0: Because of their pain, yes, that's where you get into it. It's sort of like if somebody is nasty, they're suffering, they're surviving some kind of initial pain or wound or origin wound. Just they're because, just not shitty people. No, they're not just terrible people. There's something. No, well, I mean, some they probably are, but yeah. a lot of people. It's just generational. You know, just generational abuse. Yeah. Me- whether it's meant, you know, emotional or mental or physical or uh, combination or whatever it is. Yeah. It's generational abuse. Well, when someone comes along and breaks the cycle, they may still have healing to do or have behaved you know, previously in a way that was inappropriate or, right. or residual hurtful or residual. They were acting – Effects at, they, from their trauma. They, they, right, yeah. right. They, but now as they're healing, then they stop that. That's the break in the cycle. And they look back and they can say – well, I'm not broken. I was yeah. cre- I was created that way. I, I had no chance not to be that, right? Yeah. And so we get we get into some of that in our conversation together. So People are
1: complicated. Have you never noticed that how human beings are really pretty <laughs> complicated? are
0: we are and this kind of talk, this kind of stuff that gets heavy into the emotional yeah. stuff and and abuse and all of the rest, it makes it really clear that people are complicated. So one of the sections that she spoke about kind of in depth is self harm, yeah. And she went into some great detail. It was a very difficult section for her to write. She speaks all about yeah. that. When I say these, these are very moving personal stories she's sharing. They are extraordinarily. I mean, she's
1: laid it bare.
0: She is there's a lot of vulnerability in what she's doing. I done. am
1: not that brave. Mm. There's mm. zero chance I'm writing a book like this. Mm. Well, of course I have no trauma because I'm perfect. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Christina is cons- is convinced that I have some deep-seated trauma oh, because I know I you do. I wouldn't tell jokes.
0: I know you do. So I would give this book a thumbs up. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely because I, I would I highly recommend it. We'll share the link. It's an, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it in ebook or print from right. Amazon.
1: Christina did the interview because a She's a much better interviewer than I am, and it's uh, a one-on-one interview was definitely called for in this instance. And Christina already already had some rapport with Marita, and uh, is much more sensitive about things like this than I am, because jokes would not have been helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I don't think, think. so. No. I mean, maybe the healing power of jokes.
0: I mean, we laughed about some things, but I I yeah, think no, that you, it's probably and you're
1: and you're also more in tune with therapy and psychology and psychiatry and the languages of trauma
0: it's the years of therapy
1: therapy and trauma sure i mean i'm not saying that it's great that you're familiar with them i'm just saying you are familiar with them
0: all right well here's my interview with marita miller and we'll be back afterwards to tell you about upcoming stuff Welcome, Marita. Thank you so much for joining me on Gen X Temporaneous. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. So talk to me about what the audacity to heal is about.
2: My healing journey, realizing the traumas that I, that I went through and how my mind into adulthood built off of those traumas and created more trauma. I created some of my own trauma in my adulthood, you know, with self-sabotage, self-betrayal, negative thinking. And it's about how I started the process of getting on a good healing path.
0: Just to sort of give the audience a bit of an idea, your healing journey includes healing from physical abuse, emotional abuse at the hands of people who were older than you, people who were part of your family, and then ongoing ridicule and hideous behavior by random people in your
2: You know, what's really interesting is I think of that town when I was a kid. I think of it very fondly, Mm -hmm. which is just it just seems ridiculous in my head. But I don't you know, when I think of that town, where I grew up, and it's a small town, we're talking, I think, Like a thousand people right around there. But when I think of that town, I think of Ida and Woodchuck and Harry and the librarian Linda and the good people, my brother, his wife. Yeah. I think of the good people.
0: That's such an optimistic outlook. And that says something about who you are, I think, as a person, to be able to have gone through the things that you've described and to come out of it with. The outlook that you know you're not dwelling on the negative. You're actually, when you think about it, you think about the positives.
2: I wasn't always like that.
0: <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how you decided to write the audacity to heal.
2: I was keeping track of what I was doing to heal. The first thing I worked on healing was the words that were thrown at me from infancy. Mom was so embarrassed to be pregnant with you. In order to fix that, I had to realize that it was a lie and rewrite it in my brain what it really should have been. And that was how it started. And I was making notes of how I was healing myself and the process that I was going through and each emotion and going back to my inner child and letting them grieve and feel the emotions that they didn't get to feel when I was two and four and eight and ten, and really going through that. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. So
0: doing all of that, was that kind of a catharsis for you? Or just a way to keep track of where you were, or maybe both? Both, yeah.
2: I was really proud of how he was doing it on my own, finally.
0: Well, let's talk about that, because you'd say in the book, You've seen therapists, you've had ongoing and sort of on and off relationships with therapists. This part of it, though, this has been on your own or or is there a therapist involved?
2: This part of it has been on my own. I have seen some really wonderful therapists over the years. And the good ones gave me a few tools that I was able to put into play. I just wasn't ready until... Recently.
0: And I think that that's something that is important for people to hear. Healing comes in its own time, right? Yeah. You can't force it. You can't hurry right.
2: that along. Once you start it, it's lifelong. You know, once you realize, wow, I really screwed up, it's something that I will have to work on all the rest of my life. And it's something that I want to work on because I like who right. they're becoming.
0: Often people think, well, if I do this for a little while, then everything will be okay. Oh, no. And I just get on with my life and I'll be healed. Well, like you said, it's, it's a nonstop process. Yes. In the book, you say the words, but I am not the broken person in this story. I survived the broken people. I am the product of people that were and are broken. That's a tough realization to come to, I think. Yeah. How did you get there?
2: It's going to sound so silly, but TikTok actually kind of got on self-help TikTok or healing TikTok, listening to people about how they would go through their process and realizing this or that. And it's like, wow, I am not the broken one. They are the ones that were broken and they didn't know that they could or should do better. That's how I came to that conclusion. And it was like a weight lifted off when I realized that.
0: Is Does that realization feed into the forgiveness? You say, I forgive for me, but I'll never forget. And I'm wondering how that ties in with you coming to the terms with the fact that these were hurt people, that they just maybe didn't know better.
2: OK, so my dad was a grudge holder. He could hold a grudge better than the best of them. And so we all learned how to hold a grudge from our dad. And I had to let go of that. It was weighing me down, the hate and the hurt and the anger. And Taylor Swift did a speech, she said in her speech, something to the effect of and it's not an actual like full word for word quote, but it was something to the effect of if I'm weighed down with the burdens of hate and anger, emotionally, I do not have the capacity for the good stuff. It was a big realization. So yeah, I had to let go. Taylor does that by writing, (laughs) writing
0: songs about Jake Gyllenhaal.
2: (laughs) I am a huge Swifty. I call myself a vintage Swifty because, you know, I'm in my 50s. Love her. She's so great.
0: Also jealous about her dating record. She, I mean, dating Jake Gyllenhaal does not sound like it's everything that it, seemed, it would maybe be cracked up to be. But also, I mean, I would. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> if you were to think about your book, who do you think is your ideal reader?
2: You know, I struggled with trying to figure out who my ideal reader was because that was something that I considered when I was writing it. And it's kind of a multifaceted Um I want it to be a book that people can say, hey, I do that. Or, you know, a family member might be able to read the part about the suicidal feelings and be able to understand a little bit more how their family member is feeling. And so just basically anybody who wants to understand trauma and how it can greatly affect people. Have your family read this? One of my kids. Had, well, two, actually. My youngest uh, is 13 and she's read it. And then my middle son has read it.
0: In the book, you speak to some of the hardest things that you have to sort of memories you have are to do with your kids and some of the things that they had to go through as you're going through this journey that you're on.
2: Yeah. I don't want to tell like their stories. Um, That's for them to tell. But they did go through a lot as kids and they each deserve a do-over.
0: When I look back at things, I think to myself, oh, I wish I would have done this better. or I wish I've done this differently or whatever. I wonder if we should give ourselves the same latitude and say, you know, we're human. We were doing the best that we could with where we were at in our own journey. Which so. part of the book was hardest for you to write?
2: Writing about the people that I've lost, uh, my parents, my, my brother's, The people that did never give up on me, that was hard to write about. And the narcissist section, and I also talk about, I call it, not in the book, but when I refer to it, when I speak with friends ahead and party, the narcissist would corner me and I would dissociate. It was hard to drag that back up and feel those emotions again. But I think that the hardest to write all-encompassing, was the last three pages, my letter to my kids, where I see myself going in the very near future, and kind of a letter to my former self that was really hard to write.
0: There are sections of your book that hit me on a very visceral level. I related to some of it, not all of it, and not, as again, not to the extent that you were describing. The section, though, on Self-harm yeah, and sort of the suicide ideation, that was very tough to read, but I
2: think also very important to read. I agonized over that section. Tell me about that. I was first and foremost worried that I could potentially give people ideas on other ways to hurt themselves. And that really, it's something that I prayed about, cried about, talked to multiple people about you know, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And in the end, it I felt that it was a really important part to include in the book because it was such a long-term pain and emotional pain. It was, it was a really hard part to, to write, to again, dredge up those emotions and literally put myself back where I was when I was going through that. And that's hard to do when you've kind of walked away from it, you know?
0: But it felt to me like in the reading of it, and I don't know that this is true, but of course, as as a reader, you know, once you put it out there, I get right. it as a reader and I, I read it and process it in the way that, you know, it's my subjective experience as yeah. well, as, you know, reading about yours. So when I... As I read it, I felt like you were visiting those times, but that you were able to extricate yourself. You obviously had to go back, that you obviously had to be able to get in touch with those those emotions and those feelings that you experienced, but that you are far enough along in your journey that you were able to do that, touch them, and then pull back
2: out. Yes. Yes, definitely. There are some things that I haven't healed. I am terrified to go back and feel those feelings again because they're deep, deep, deep wounds. But I know that to progress, I have to. It was a very definite fine line that I had to walk. I did a little slip back into survival mode, but I was able to get out of it much, much, much faster.
0: Well, there's one incident in particular where you talked about setting, you were setting boundaries and it had to do with being in a group chat with people and a miscommunication led to people treating you in a way that you were not okay with. And you talked about how you pulled back and then, you know, set a boundary. Yeah. Boundary setting for people is sometimes extraordinarily difficult. No one wants to say no to people. We want to make people happy generally. We want to, well, not not all of us are people pleasers, but nobody has a, I, I don't think that anybody wants to disappoint others that they care about, right? Right. But we do have to have self-care and you talk extensively about self-care and boundaries. And can you tell me a little bit about your boundary setting process?
2: If it makes me feel icky, I need a boundary. If it makes me feel like I am of less value than that person, I need a boundary. That's basically where I gather my courage and say, hey, let's back up a little bit. This is what I can do. And this is what I expect from you.
0: Do you find that people are usually open to that
2: or are they resistant? <laughs> well, if they're resistant, like Renee Brown says, if they're resistant to it, you probably needed a boundary with them in the first place. Most people, though, are receptive and are coming around because I've always been kind of a doormat, I guess, for, you know, lack of a better way of putting it, or maybe that is the best way to put it. Well, but doormat. I mean,
0: I think that that's a survival place, right?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's part of fawn, freeze.
0: Well, let's talk about that because that's a tremendously interesting section where you, <laughs> yeah. where you talk about the different different sort of survival tactics that people employ when they are in uh, in trauma situations.
2: I would make sure to be as quiet and as pleasing as possible. Nobody else should feel discomfort. Only I should. I should be small. I should be quiet. I should be out of the way, respect the adults, respect the men, and nobody should feel discomfort aside from me. That was it. And played small for a long time. And some people are having a hard time with me not playing small anymore. Mm -hmm. So I've removed them from my life.
0: Tough to do, but also a great way to make space for other people who want to support you in a healthy way and want to be friends in a healthy way. Exactly. Um,
2: But, you know, there's a grieving process with that too. You know, you have this person that's, you know, been in your life for X amount of years uh, you know, you've had some great memories with them, but they just keep on and on and on pushing and taking and making you feel inferior. Even though they did those things, you still have to grieve the loss of all of the things that you wanted to do in the future. And it's hard. difficult. It really yeah. is. You self-published this book. Is that right? Yeah.
0: And in your book, you talk about how procrastination was one of your... Things, one of the things that I can uh, fully understand that. <laughs> so I am wondering how you worked out your procrastination and self publishing a novel. That's
2: amazing. <laughs> well, part of it was stopping the negative self talk. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. I named the mean voice in my head, and Eloise just doesn't get by with that anymore. Yeah, I named her Eloise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, set a boundary with Eloise? <laughs> set a boundary with Eloise, yeah, and um, yeah, it is. It's like a, it's a self sabotage. It's a self betrayal. It's it's all that.
0: Once you set that boundary with Eloise, at some point you said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna publish this." So how how does that decision get made? And then what were you know kind of what were the steps? Because our audience is heavily Gen X. We've got a few Boomers and we've got some Millennials. Inspire them. How did you decide? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna write this and I'm gonna publish it.
2: One of my children had looked at publishing some books, self-publishing through Amazon, and had told me about it a couple years ago. And so it was always kind of in the back of my head that I knew that that was an option. And my name on TikTok is Marita with Audacity. And somebody said, well, you do have the audacity or the audacity to heal. And so I don't even remember who it was that said that. And I'm like, that would be a really cool name for the book or for a book. She says, well, write it. That was it. It just kind of, it happened. And at first it was just, it was kind of spiteful, I guess, if I'm being honest at first. And then as I got deeper into the forgiving and letting go of the grudge, I scrapped all that and Pretty much started over from scratch. It really got going when I decided who uh, I was dedicating my book to. And then it was just kind of like it flowed from there. I
0: dedicate this book to Punk, my four-year-old self. I've got it from here, kiddo. I love yeah. you to the moon and back and all the stars up in the sky. And I think that's beautiful. Thank you.
2: So how long did it take, start to finish? Nine months. Oh, so really I, not all that long. No start, start from the very beginning, from when I was being spiteful. If I start from there, it was about 18 months, you know, wrote all the spiteful crap. And maybe that was partly healing too. I don't know. I wrote all the spiteful crap and got that out of the way. And then I decided who I was going to dedicate it to. And I cried about that when I figured out that I was dedicating it to little kid me who had their first panic attack when they were four years old. And I cried about that for about a week after I really figured out my dedication. And then it was, okay, it's time to get serious about this. And then from that on, it was about nine months. Shattering. Yeah.
0: When you yeah. think about that at four years old, when you said before that you had all that spiteful stuff, that was there, that needed to come out. Yeah. And I think the, then the rewrite... <laughs> this part the, you know like the revision of it yeah is ends up being this very beautiful expression of tremendous trauma but also absolute growth i i started i started reading your book and i'll i'll tell you this um i called someone i i i had to call i had to call and actually physically talk to someone and i i texted her and i said can you chat? And she said, Yep. And I said, okay. And so I called her. This is like kind of in the middle of the workday. And she and I said, Can you chat for a second? And I said, I've got to read you something. And I read her a portion of your book. And she said, Oh my God, that's powerful. And I said, It it is powerful. I said, I have to, I have to share this. And so I checked, I told her about it. So I think that she's going to check out your book too. <laughs> and um, I, I really highly recommend it to to anyone who has gone through trauma um, or knows someone who has gone through trauma and wants to have a better understanding of how that might work. It's a very interior dialogue that you're having uh, and putting it on page. And it's, it's really fascinating to read. So let me ask you, were there any kind of hiccups with
2: self-publishing? Getting the margins just right. And I, I have old equipment. I'm sure if I had a newer computer It would have been a much more efficient, but I kept having to flip between this program and then I would have to go correct it in a different program and then re-upload it to the secondary program and in order to get it to flow right. I like things to look like it was intentional because it was intentional. I didn't want it to be, oh, well, that could have been on that page instead of on this page. And then the cover, I thought... Was going to be less problem than it was, but it ended up being okay, and I'm happy with the cover.
0: The cover is gorgeous, actually. It's very evocative. It's. So. I'm I'm looking at it now, and I'm assuming this is a picture of you. It is, and you, <laughs> bless you, have saddle shoes on, on <laughs> and you're holding. Is that what are you holding?
2: An Easter basket.
0: Oh, and you. You look just. Darling, your your hair is is blonde, and you've got a little cardigan on, and a and a, a looks like a a skirt, or maybe it was a a jumper. I think it's a skirt. Just adorable, just adorable, and it really I uh, when I looked at that and I read the dedication, I thought that's the little girl she's talking to. Yeah, and when you look at that little child, and then you think to then when you open this book and you read about what happened to this little child. I don't know that anybody can read this and not just be absolutely taken back and sort of stopped in their tracks and think to themselves, this is a child, right? Like it's unfathomable to me to have that happen to such a little, little person. The trauma that you suffered caused the issues that, that you then experienced. It's not, you weren't born, (laughs) you know, like this, those issues were made, not, just a part of who you are
2: it's like I said you know I had to change that narrative in my head and that was hard because I still had at that time I still had contact with my family and it was still said still said at 50 years old I was still hearing it that was enough so yeah good I'm so happy
0: for you on so many levels because first of all you've heal you're healing while well, you're not healed but you're you're healing and you will be healing and you will continue to be healing and that's a tough path but it's a great path and it, you know there's challenge in it but it's a great path and i've got to believe that it's very rewarding and second of all you've written a beautiful book it's a your first effort it's a beautiful book i have thoroughly enjoyed it and I, I think you should be and i'm not trying to say this in a in a condescending way, because I'm not a book critic. I'm not a literary critic. I'm just a reader. But I think, God, you should be so proud of yourself for doing what you did. I am. When you were writing, what was your schedule like? Did, do you feel, were you like a morning writer? Did you write in the evening? How did you carve out time for that?
2: The section on the narcissist, for example, I had to tell everybody, just don't bother me. Don't come over. I need to do this. I need to get deep into that. And do this part, I can't have any interruptions. And it was like 18 hours where I just pounded on the keyboard and cried and cried and cried. And then I slept for about 20 hours afterwards. And I did take like three days off after that. Because you have to heal from healing, that was something that was in. I didn't had no idea that people had to heal from healing. It, it's exhausting, both physically, mentally, and definitely emotionally. But it is. It you don't realize how exhausting it is to go back and work through that. Allow yourself to feel all those emotions, and and then you know I would go back and reread it, make little adjustments, and. When I wasn't like actively healing in the writing, um, you know, I, I was just going back and fixing a word here, maybe, you know, changing a sentence up there. I tried to do six to eight hours a day of four to five days a week. And some days, sometimes I would go two weeks every day. I would do 10 hours a day. It just really depended on where I was mentally.
0: How did you handle the editing? Did you have someone that edited for you? Or did you self edit? I self edited. Do you do you think you'll write again? Or is this just one time thing? And and you're done?
2: No, I have I have notes on like three other books. And big dreams for hopefully something that I will do in the not so distant future. I've got an idea and kind of collaboration with I don't know who, but The right person will come along if I'm supposed to do this project.
0: Is it fiction or is it going to, again, be more real
2: life? The project would be real life. I do have a fiction book started and a book of poetry, which I don't know that that'll ever get published. That just might be for my kids. I have a recipe book started and a book that I've started about healing the agoraphobia. Wow. Well, you've got a lot on deck and I love that. Thanks. You said,
0: and, and, and actually this is, a, this is maybe a good place to slide this quotation in. You said, I quit dreaming for a long time. It seemed every time I had a dream or even just a goal, someone came along to mock or smash it. So I just quit dreaming. I'm dreaming again and that feels really good. It's exciting. My question to you about that quote is, what are you dreaming about now? So it sounds like you've got lots of, <laughs> lots of dreams on deck.
2: I do. I do. Future books, obviously. I'd love to travel. I used to like to travel. I never did a lot of it, but I enjoyed it. And maybe call me crazy, but a healthy relationship would be kind of cool. Yes. From
0: from your mouth to God's ears for all of us. All right. Well, this was so fantastic getting to talk to you. I appreciate it so much. You've enriched my life by letting me read this book and sharing it with, with the world. I'm so grateful to have read it. And I hope that you had a good time coming on and, and having a chat with me.
2: I did. I really, really appreciate you having me. And I hope that the people that my book finds get joy and some knowledge from it.
0: I can't see how they wouldn't. You're, it's a very easy book to read and very clearly stated uh, the things that you're talking about. So I think anybody reading this is going to come away with, with some better understanding.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Marita, tell me how people can find your book. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. <laughs>
1: So that was a very powerful and well-done interview. Great job by you. Good conversation. But more importantly, great job by Marina. She was very eloquent. Those are difficult, difficult things to talk about, I am sure. And she handled it brilliantly.
0: I thought so, too. She was. This was her first time on a podcast. We talked a little bit before we started, and it was her first time on a podcast, and she did great. I'm really looking forward to more of these kinds of conversations. We have... Three more authors lined up in this s- segment of the arc.
1: So you're saying I have more books to read. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: So we'll do one of these Gen X focused episodes per month. The first now, so this is January, February, March, April. We'll have all authors. Great. And then after that, I think we're going to start talking to people. Out. Yeah, we're going to be, start talking to people who made great big life changes in other ways.
1: Like they decided to start making those hook rugs from the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> I made one of those. Did you ever make
0: one of those? Um, yes, of course. Mine was a
1: lion. Oh wow! <laughs> well, oh, you know. I can't
0: even remember. Uh, oh, panda. Mine was a See, panda. There you go. Mine was a panda. That's right. Yeah,
1: my all all of the kids were given hook rug. I mean, it wasn't the greatest Christmas gift of all time <laughs> according to us? But we made these fucking hook rugs. So. <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: Yes, I remember this. If you have. Made a big life change. Yeah. And that could be anything from changing jobs to moving countries to whatever other things. Pick
1: up a new hobby. Starting
0: new, starting to do new things. But it
1: has to be a cool hobby, right? Not, not like a lame hobby. Yeah. Cook
0: roast. <laughs> then, uh, please email us. Yep, We are at extemporaneouspod at gmail.com. Or if you prefer to DM us on Twitter, uh, Mark is at MarkEatsPeach. I am at Christina Gen X, or you can reach out to us on our Gen X Temporaneous page at X Temporaneous 2.
1: Huge thanks to Marita for coming on. Yeah, that was nice, great. Thanks, you know.
0: Marita. And please, if you have interest, go and grab her book off of Amazon. Just
1: buy it. It's just a great, honest telling of a you know a healing process. So I think Absolutely. it's super good.
0: All right. Well, F with that note, I'm going to say bye.
1: Peace out, Cub Scouts.
2: Wow.
0: I don't. I got it's like, that one.
1: Christina is so great, laughing at Mark's jokes. Christina really <laughs> enhances Mark. <laughs> Christina's uh, great decoration for the podcast. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible! All right, I wouldn't be mind. I wouldn't mind being called decoration.
0: Oh God.